and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on January 21st, 2015. The theme of the evening was self-help. Your next storyteller... Works as a school marm during the day and moonlights at D-Bar in the evening. Uh, please welcome Rachel Pater, everyone. So this past Christmas on a trip home to Michigan, I was reminded of the Berenstein Bears, which is a series of books that had a profound impact on my life. I'm serious. I read The Berenstein Bears more than any other book, uh, and I was reminded of them because my three-year-old nephew, Dashiell, is similarly obsessed. And during this past trip home, he would run up to me at any opportunity and ask me, Auntie, can we read The Berenstein Bears again? Which is really cute, but he would say this again and again and again. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Berenstein Bears, there are over 200 titles to choose from. Uh, The Berenstein Bears and Too Much TV, the Berenstein Bears Get the Gimmies, the Berenstein Bears, and what else? Too Much Junk Food, yes. Thank you. It's the only participatory part of my story. Uh, so this, the stories follow a very simple sort of short story formula. We are introduced to the bear family who live down a sunny dirt road deep in bear country, you remember? Uh, and then we follow brother or sister bear as they have some sort of conflict or problem, uh, and they get help solving that problem or conflict. And the books always ended with a sort of tidy bow and a takeaway moral. And there was something so comforting about reading these books as a kid because uh, we always knew that the Bear family was going to be happy at the end, right? Uh, And these books always felt so relevant to my life, even though I'm not a bear. And, uh, but also on this trip home, I met up with some friends, uh, a couple of which I hadn't seen in years, some high school friends. And after uh, dinner, we were on to drinks, and one of them got up the courage to ask me what it was like coming out to my family. Now, first, a word about the phrase coming out. Uh, I don't feel like I ever really came out, as it were, uh, especially not out of a closet. If anything, moving to Colorado in my early 20s was like going into a closet and through the back and discovering this Narnia-like land with (laughs) lots of queer people who I very much enjoyed. Uh, Secondly, I am really sick of telling this story. To me, it feels boring and cliche. It feels way too familiar to be interesting anymore. It's like the fourth time in a row reading the Berenstein Bears to Dash, I have much less pizzazz and I definitely do not do the voices anymore. (laughs) Uh, 
But despite this, he remains really interested and sometimes it's super cute. He'll push my thumb off the page that I'm holding so he doesn't miss a detail of the picture. And my friend Amanda that night, I know she wanted the details of my story because she grew up in the same conservative community that I did and she knows why my queerness would be a problem. You know, we don't grow up with children's stories about coming out. We have no template for them. Um, and especially for those of us who have to do it, it's really difficult. Uh, and I had to write my own story because there is no template. Uh, and I told a version of that story to Amanda that night. Uh, my story is called The Berenstein Bears and Sister Bear's First Pride Parade. <laughs> Thank you, David. The Bear family had always lived down in a big tree house down a sunny dirt road deep in Christian Reformed Bear Country. <laughs> brother Bear number one and Brother Bear number two moved out, and Sister Bear, the last to go, finished school and then made the move to mountain country that she'd always talked about. Soon after, the Brother Bears got married and started having cubs of their own. Meanwhile, Sister Bear began down a path that her former mentor would later email to tell her was a slippery slope of homosexuality and radical thinking. <laughs> Sister Bear didn't feel that radical, and she surely didn't identify, identify as a homosexual. It's just that, well, she had never really appreciated how boy bear cubs had been socialized in bear country. When she won at marbles or hit a home run, the boy cubs would be jealous and make fun of her. And when Brother Bear and his friends made a tree fort and put up a sign that said, no girls allowed, well, Sister Bear began to rail against the hegemonic patriarchal system. <laughs> but it was more than that, and she couldn't quite explain it. She tried to share her thoughts with her best friend Lizzie, who still lived in bear country. It's just that, well, I like sharing a pot of honey with other girl cubs more than I do with boy cubs. Lizzie said that was against what teacher Bob had taught them at school and what teacher Jane had said in Sunday school. Sheesh, Sister Bear replied. Glad she hadn't told Lizzie that she'd also been dating some polyamorous gender non-conforming bears as well. <laughs> She knew that now the bears in bear country would talk, and though Sister Bear didn't think it was anyone's business whose honey she preferred, she thought she should be the one to tell Mama and Papa Bear. She gathered her courage and made the call. Mama Bear picked up, and Sister Bear asked to talk to both of them. Mama Bear told her that Papa Bear was on a bike ride and then asked, is everything okay? Sister Bear didn't know whether to say yes or no, so she just asked again, can you just call me when both of you are home? Sister Bear clutched her phone for the remainder of the night, checking and rechecking to make sure it was on and the ringer was up. Mama and Papa Bear did not call back that day, the next day, or the next. On the evening of the third day when they did call, Sister Bear was fuming. She was known for her temper, and boy, was she mad now. <laughs> she told them that she didn't like sharing honey with boy bears and didn't really care what they thought about it. She told them it was their fault that the people who talked about loving Jesus Bear so much had a problem with it and had brainwashed them too.
Mama and Papa Bear were silent for a bit. They told Sister Bear that they didn't really understand, but they loved her and wanted to be in her life. They also begged that she please not tell Grizzly Gran. <laughs> now, this is the part of the story where uh, my story stops fitting the typical short story narrative. I've had to leave out a lot of details. My relationship with my own uh, brother bears, my relationship with the church, my own internalized homophobia, and, and a lot more. Uh, and also, my story does not get resolved. It doesn't have a tidy bow like these books do. It's more, it's more complicated than that. But I also tell my story much differently today than I did five years ago. Uh, I have five years of happier living under my belt. I bought a treehouse of my own. I uh, went to grad school. And for all practical purposes, I have a pretty great life. Uh, I used to be so angry with my folks for their three-day silent treatment between calls. Uh, and looking back now and retelling my story, I can see that they knew what I was going to tell them and they needed some time to adjust and to think about being the odd people out in their still conservative community. Uh, I'm not angry with them anymore. I can see uh, different perspectives. I catch new details when I retell my story. I need to recommit to telling my story. This one and many others. Uh, there are people who want to listen and there are details that I've left out the first time or the 40th time through. And I'm also reminded how important it is to ask the people in my life to retell their stories to me again and again and again. Thank you. Rachel Pater. All right, your next storyteller. He's done the show uh, once before. Uh, he did an amazing job. He's a great artist. He's the director of Screwtooth theater company. He has a 3D art show that's opening up February 13th uh, at Cabal. Um, and he's, he's a great dude. Please welcome Adam Stone. These are always... Um, this is very... This is strange because I don't... Um, I don't talk about myself very much because uh, uh, I don't finish uh, complete thoughts and uh, memories, recalling memories. It's a lot like recalling a, uh, a dream where the more you um, try to hold on to details, the further they get. Um, so then I started writing, uh, writing it down. Um, here, I have the benefit of taking my time in piecing together the elements of the story, but still, what I'm left with is a narrative that is more like a bird with one giant wing and one tiny wing, endlessly frustratedly circling the same, uh, the same central point, picking out small instances of change in what has already been seen. I won't ask for help. Regardless of how desperate a situation gets, I have an extremely difficult time asking for help. If I do, it comes with an enormous amount of guilt heaped on top. Uh, he, he, an enormous amount of guilt heaped, heaped, excuse me, heaped on top that I have yet to find a way to shake. 
Additionally, I've spent the majority of my life in solitary self-improvement so that when I do feel ready to be around others, I have something to show for it. Some new skill or completed piece of music or something or some of, of, of some other form after uh, some other form after ridiculous research and piling fuck up on top of fuck up until there's a product I feel is complete. Relying on this form of self-help, though, uh, which is perhaps more accurately described as lone exploration, th throughout years when friends talk amongst themselves about sexual experiences, share music and cultural discoveries, and much more means that I took a very linear or piece-by-piece -piece approach to my cultural and sexual education and experience. I learned and discovered by what was set before me, and while my taste in music has always been uh, been far-reaching into the nearly impossibly obscure merely as a result of following certain rabbit holes into deep wells of genre, I had never listened to a Rolling Stones song until I was 23. It's much easier for me to understand what I dig in music than it has been, than it has seemingly been to determine whether or not something is enjoyable or positive in either a relationship or a sexual experience. This, which in hindsight seems like an incredibly obvious result, led to situations and experiences that blur the line of positive and negative, even when I think about them still. In fact, the first time I ever fully realized I could simply leave, just go away, regardless of the situation, was following a period of time I spent living in Philadelphia when I was 19. I was living in the house of a 35-year-old woman who was a rigger for the arts festival that I was performing in. I bring this up to illustrate the extreme differences in our physiques. To state it rather bluntly, she was two inches taller than me and had a bodybuilder's body, minus the exaggerated look that comes with steroid use, which is to say she looked human. I was, without exaggeration, 50 pounds lighter than I am now. Needless to say, it would not have been at all difficult for her to overpower me physically. Uh, that becomes especially true when shackle with shackled ankles and rope-tied wrists. And when this is the second person you've ever had sex with, and with her the first time, and just to paint the picture in full, the music of Lamb of God scoring the scene... <laughs> I... I simply gave over to it, sticking to the mentality that I had always, uh, that I had operated in always of, yeah, sure, why not? As, as far as I could tell, I enjoyed myself over the following two months I lived there, until I had to go to Boston for a weekend. I was scheduled to drive to Colorado in a few days and decided to pass through Philly where I stayed with her, where I was to stay with her for a couple nights before I had to head out. Completely unable to recognize why, almost instantly after entering her house, I broke down and fell asleep that night with my head in her lap while she read me Neil Gaiman's children's book. I woke up in a start the next morning before the sun was up, got in my car, and drove away. The following years of college were full of me reminding myself that I could leave at any time. Dropping out, returning, finding different types of leaves that I could take, or simply driving off at 3 a.m. to see where I'd be where the sun came up. This was in part where my current notion uh, of self-help comes from. But before I state that directly, I want to relate an earlier part of this non-story. I had a high school friend who would often ask a question that perfectly illustrated the opposite of how I've always been with regard to my own interests. And when I say often, I do mean often. I would be sitting with him and a girl would walk by at a slight distance and he would lean over to me and say, is she hot? It was only sort of a question, as he was simply avoiding making a declaration for which in his mind could potentially result in ridicule. My reaction was always the same, which was to simply laugh. It was an absurd question. 
One of these times, however, he followed up the question by saying that he'd heard this particular girl was interested in me. We were dating not long after that, a relationship that lasted for perhaps two years, beginning my senior year of high school. The first time I had sex was with her. I heard a quote once, though I can't, still can't place where, uh, that every generation has to reinvent sex for itself. The nervousness that surrounds this first time results in kids relying on odd sources to gain as much knowledge as they can so that they won't be quote-unquote bad. Uh, between the conversations of friends and the open availability of pornography, there are plenty of places for one to study and prepare. Although, when it comes to the actual first time, it's generally too brief to use whatever killer moves one thought he or she... W <laughs> he or she was ready to tazzle and impress with. This relationship lasted, as I said, for a long time, and we were extremely close, which should go without saying, but romantic relationship does not automatically imply friendship and we were best friends. She was the first person in whose eyes I ever saw the disappearance of interest in life, such that suicide was an inevitability. There was no question as to the authenticity of her conviction, as it was part of her history. No, no, not cutting or other visible self-harm, but quiet, solitary ways of attempting to end her life. So I did what one would expect. I didn't leave her room with her until she began to cry a sign of life returning, and we talked openly and rationally. But that's not at all to say that what had just occurred was irrational. I can't make a judgment either way. Not until years later did my feelings about suicide become more formulated and specific. In general, everyday life, the most common little bit of advice given, though I have no statistical basis for this claim, is to live in the moment. If it's not the most common, then it's at least very, very common. To live in the moment to live for now. And indeed, it does seem that the greatest enjoyment is found in these times. The beauty and truth of it comes from its acknowledgement of life's ability to end at any time. That includes how easy it can be to end, one, end one's own life. Like the reason it's scary to stand on the edge of a cliff. The fear comes more from how easy it would be to step off rather than from the fear that one might fall. This sentiment, however, that it's best to live in the moment is in direct conflict with what is generally the tactic in talking someone away from taking their life. We say there's so much to live for, arguing that there's so much that could be. The truth is that sometimes contained within a moment is the sum total of a life lived with the voices of one's demons screaming louder than those of the people one is surrounded by. Sometimes the moment holds a solution to an entire family's downfall in losing, into losing everything they have. When my high school girlfriend's father killed himself, quietly, alone in the woods, to ensure his family would not fall into debt that would result in the loss of their home, ability to attend college, and other things money could buy to ensure a certain life for his wife and two daughters, he was in his right mind. He had not gone crazy, was not drunk, but instead had taken time to think through what he was doing. He and I were close, and I know this for a fact. What they lost was a husband and a father. Again, I couldn't possibly judge on either side of, this, of his action. So then, my notion of self-help. For me, the ability to help, to help myself means having the ability to opt out. In a world that has such an entirely different understanding of what it means to be alive and sees so many of the systems in place as not only necessary, but inevitable developments in the course of human history, life, the state of being alive, has no inherent meaning. Things only have meaning until they don't. We find meaning, we create it.
So what's my five-year plan? It's the same as my 10-year plan, my three-year plan, and my one-year plan. Be doing something in which I find meaning, remaining unsatisfied but determined, or kill myself. Thanks. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>